Oop Dreams, the podcast, an Unlearning Network production. Dion, we want to do something with you real quick, man. We call this halftime. And we just okay. going to throw some quick hitters at you, man. And, 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 and I just got to start with this, man. The three toughest, and I don't care if it's high school or college, that you played against? Wow. Oof. Played against a lot of dudes, man. Not until I got to think. Even, um, even overseas. So, Juwan was definitely one of. He said that about um, you. He said that about you. That, hey, much respect, man. <laughs> I, I love you. Much respect. Glenn Robinson. Oof. The big dog. Ooh, big dog. Fucking monster, man. God. And, and I'm going a, I'm to, a, you know, Again, there was a bunch of dudes in college, but I'm gonna give you one from from Europe. It was a guy named Dijon Bodiroga. What? One of the best players I have ever seen in my life. What was special about him? I remember walking on the court. Again, I'm I go over in '94. My teammates are like, "Oh my God, we playing, we playing Bodiroga." I'm like, "Man, fuck him." Like, <laughs> <laughs> really? Oh, I'm like, dude, stop playing. Y'all holding this dude up like he's Jordan or something. In, in Europe, he was Jordan. Oh, in Europe, he was that dude. You know, I mean, you got the Tony Ku coaches and all those dudes that were coming that had just left, and he was, is along that line of being in, you know, I guess he's from Croatia. But at that time, it was Yugoslavia. Oh, It was all one country. So he's coming from there. And I'm like, dude, the hell with this dude. First time I ever been hit with a sham god. <laughs> sham god hadn't even sham god hadn't even started doing the sham god yet. That's the first time I got hit with it. He goes hard left, reaches across, pull that thing back. I was like, okay, what? Now we playing the game. Now we playing the game. <laughs> and this dude was like six ten. This is like a six ten dude. He moving. He, he got three. handles like that, D. Yes. Yes. Had he old he older than me? Had <laughs> wow, oh man, dude, I'm trying. And people, we were always even when we were over there, we'd be like, "Why isn't this dude going to the league?" Mm. You know why? Right. So I'm talking to him one day. I'm like, Deshaun. I'm like, really? I'm like, tell him, why? Why aren't he was like for what? He was like, I make the I make enough. I make more money here than I'm gonna make over there. Wow. I'm like. And he was like, and I he was like, and then I don't have to beat up my body and all these other things. I'm like, okay. I was like, I get that. And he had the city locked up. And he had the city locked oh, man, up. Yeah. Right. He sure did. Was playing in Barcelona at the time. I was like, man, I'm like, this dude getting it in. This is my quick hitter, D. Your three favorite cities you lived in overseas, and what did you like about them? Three favorite cities. I got to put Tel Aviv first and foremost. Um, I, if, if anybody has not been to Israel, they need to go. Really? It's very westernized. It's like being in the, it's like being in the shop. Mm. But, but with a beach... Per capita, most beautiful women in the world. A nightlife that just does not stop. Wow. Food off the chain, the whole night. I mean, it's just amazing. Wow. So that, that Tel Aviv is number one. Okay. Uh, number two would have to be Malaga, Spain. Malaga is in the south of Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like right on the coast. Uh, they got a team there I played for called Unicaja. And they got a big university there. It's one of the biggest in Europe. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of fun. I was. I, let me just say this: I went to play for them when I was 
26. Mm-hmm. I was too young to be playing in Malaga. Really? What? I was too young. At 26? Yeah, I was still too young. I shouldn't have gone there until I was married. Wow. <laughs> so, and, and beautiful. But everything about it was beautiful. I mean, man, I had a I had a five bedroom villa that sat on 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 this peak mm-hmm. that looked off into the into the ocean. Mm. I mean, it was what? it was just sick. It was sick. That is crazy. And um, as far as living, the third would have to be Sevilla, Spain, mm. um, which is still in the south, a little bit further north of Malaga. Um, there, I actually almost bought a house. I was I was gonna stay there. Really? I, I wasn't even coming back. Like it was gonna be a citi- citizenship you was gonna get. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mom kind of gave me the guilt trip, and that's what that's what brought me back home. Mm. But if it wasn't for if it wasn't for that, I'd still be sitting there. We'd be talking to <laughs> we'd be talking to this while I'm there. <laughs> hey, I, I don't know if I mean you said Spain, both of them are, are that was wine countries, like did was that was those big producing wine uh places? Uh, not so much. The wine country of Spain is is mainly up north. Okay. Um, more in the north, I guess, northwest part of Spain is more so where the wine country is. Mm. Um, those climates are drier. Mm. Um, so they they do produce some some wines like that, yeah. but no, they're more industrial um type places. Okay. Uh, Malaga was more of a vacation wow. area. I mean, it was it's like being um almost like being in Monaco or something like that. I mean that that's how that that's how have you been back to either three of those since? I've been to Tel Aviv um multiple times. Uh I've been back to Israel. Well, my kids were born in Spain. My one my oldest daughter was born in Spain, and then my youngest was born in Israel. Mm. So my wife's family is from Israel. So we would go back there like every year. Um I've only been back to Spain once wow. uh since I retired. And that was back. That was back to the Canary Islands, where where my oldest daughter was born, because we still had a bunch of friends that lived there. But now yeah, that that's that hasn't. I'm looking to go back there because because I miss. Hey, you see that smile on his face, Ag? I see. I see. <laughs> Let me ask you this, D. In your entire college career, three toughest stadiums you played in. Three toughest stadiums I played in in college. Purdue is first. Mm. Uh, Mackey is right up there at the top, man. Mac- Mackey was, is even to this day when I watch, cause you know, I do the radio for men's basketball for Illinois. Um, when we go over there, those students are like basically right there. Uh, real tough place to play. Um, assembly hall in Bloomington, uh, Indi- with Indiana, always a tough place to play. But one of the things I appreciated during my time there was they appreciate basketball. Mm. So even if we made a good play, you got an applause or you got a clap, but they still made it hard on you. So Assembly Hall is probably second. Mm. Um, third, I'll probably say, I'm trying to do, I'm debating between Iowa and Michigan State. Um, mm. You know, Iowa, because when everything was going on with me, it was just the ruckus. I used to have dudes shaking keys. They crowd you. When I shoot free throws, they shake right. keys and all this other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but but when you went up to uh East Lansing, man, you know, and at that time, Steve Smith, they had Mike Poplowski, they had um uh, Mastaginga, yeah. you know, later on, you know, they just they just and they, and the way they play, it's such a physical 
um, brand of, of basketball that Mike Poplowski, I think his only job was just to beat the shit out of me. I think <laughs> that's that was it. his job. <laughs> yeah, you just go out there and just beat Dion up. That's, that was Lean on him, push him <laughs> but, in the back. Oh, man, I'm telling you. And I used to, and this dude, you know, Mike's, Mike's doing really good things for himself now, but he has had his big Frankenstein blockhead, and he was just like, yeah. And he was huge, man. I used to hit him with every elbow in the book. And it just seemed like he would just keep coming, wouldn't stop. Right. This was like, okay, dude, <laughs> really? So, you know. Yeah, they feed and then, of course, Iowa had A.C. Earl. Mm. And as much as I love my boy A.C., man, I don't know if A.C. was just was just clumsy or physical right. or what. But A.C. used to try to pound on me. And then Chris Street, man, I just I just hated playing against Chris Street. Love him as a person, hated playing against Chris Street. So those will have to be maybe a tie for the third. Okay. Mm-hmm. Your three favorite sneakers you played in o- over the years. Well, I tell you, the worst was when I had to play at Illinois and them damn cons. You <laughs> hated cons? <laughs> man, I hated them cons. Hated them. Oh, hated wow. Them. And you couldn't wear nothing else, like your own pairs. You had to have that was a team shoe. Like that was That was a team shoe. Wow. Yeah. We were sponsored. We were sponsored by um Converse. Hated them shoe. Hated. Mm. Um which one is the Jordan with the black and the black and silver that comes across the front? I don't know what number that is. Um Oh, the Concords. Uh they, that may be it. That, that's my favorite shoe. The patent leather ones? No, no. Where's my Where's my phone? I gotta find it. I'm gonna tell you, but it's it's those Jordans. Um, but they were they had the they were white with like the black and gray across the, the where the strings are. Mm. Oh, I don't know which number which number. I know you talking were. about. That's the year you retired. Yeah, but those I love. Those are my best. And then uh, the second best would have to be the answers. The Al Allen Iverson answers. Mm-hmm. Love that shoe too. Okay. Really? That was when I first. That's when I moved into the three quarters too. So those those were great. Now, now in your in, in your opinion, do you think shoes over the years then got better or they've gotten cheaper or worse? Like you like the old school '90s shoes or you like the the 2000 eras and in, and this new fly knit stuff they doing? I, I don't like the shoes today, mm. and I, I like them if, if they look good, right? You know, but I, I don't think they. Uh, with Stan, you know, even with my kids, because my daughter played basketball. Okay. You know how many pairs of shoes I had to buy for her just because she'd be cutting and they'd rip and tear. And I mean, you know, back shoes back in the day, you can wear one pair all year. Yeah. Yep. And, and your cushion wasn't, you know, on the inside, your insole wasn't run down. You know, you still had grip on the bottom. Even if you wore them outside, you had grip on the bottom. You, wear, you know, today's shoes, man. They they'd be torn up and and done after like I changed my shoes when I was playing after every three games four games mm. because it felt like it didn't have the same stability. Now that could have been a mental thing I don't know, but it just didn't feel like it had the same stability. Right. Whereas when I was I mean yeah I, this is one thing I can say about those cons man your ankles were wrapped and, and you weren't gonna have no problem with your ankles and and I think that's the thing that they try to do now is they try to make them so light that they're using these these materials and then of course they mass produce them um you know before we had our shoes made here now they're made other mm-hmm. places where the quality just isn't as good mm-hmm. uh, and i'm talking like this because i learned this all from my coaching days as well not just my playing right. days. i'm like fuck especially when i was at the junior college because we got to buy shoes 
It's not like we had, you know, contracts with Nike or things like that. You know, I was the AD and the head coach. We, I had to buy those. So we had to make sure that they fit within the budget. And now I got to buy other shoes. <laughs> right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Give me the 92,000, early 2000s over these shoes today. What do your daughter like? My daughter, well, see, my, I think my daughter, um, she was in love with Steph Curry. Mm. So... I don't know if it was the shoe or the fact that she liked his pretty self. Right. But she wore she wore she wore curries. She wore SCs, baby. <laughs> man, I gotta ask you this, man. When Dion is driving down the street, what is playing on your radio? You know that that's that's one of them. Now you're talking about a passion. Music is a passion. What? I love music. Love, 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 love music. And I owe that to my mom. And when I say music, I'm talking about everything. We she we listened to everything when we were we would clean on Saturdays, mm-hmm. and we dance all day Sunday. Mm. That that was that was our thing. Wow. You know, so my mom taught me step all the way down to doing the Watusi and the twist. Mm-hmm. Oh my, come on, knew everything. So my point is, we listened to all kinds of music. So you ask what's in Dion's. Well, it's on Dion's playlist. Absolutely. If I showed you my Spotify playlist, I mean, not Spotify, my Apple playlist, you'd be like, damn. Cause I'm going from the 60s with the OJs mm-hmm. all the way up to today with, you know, a few of the rappers today. I listen to everything, man. Well, give me some names. Got give me some names. Who are you listening to? Okay. Give me some names. All right. Hold on. Let me, let me, I mean, of course, everybody, I like Jeezy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, today, or oh, which ones you want? Give me, give me both. Give me both. You got some Bruno Mars in there? <laughs> Do not have Bruno Mars in there. No. <laughs> but I got some Al Green. Mm. I got some Alicia Myers, Energy Stone, Ooh. Anthony David. Dude, I even got some Arrested Development. Um, I got, got this one sister. She's a, a country singer, Ashley Amber. Mm. Now, you got to make sure you look mm-hmm. her up. Mm. Even if you just look at the pictures, you look her up. <laughs> I got some Bobby Caldwell on here, the Brothers Johnson, Burner Boy, mm-hmm. um, Cleo Soul, um, Corinne Bailey Ray, Counting Crows. Right. Now, where's my You could have stopped at oh, the Brothers of course, Johnson. Of course, there's Earth, Wind, and Fire, the Isley Rise Brothers, O.J. Dwelle. A whole spectrum of things. No, no, bro, I'm telling you, from... The, the old school, old school footsteps in the dark all the way up to uh, country music. I got everything on there. I just love music. Hey, you know, A.G., Dion, Dion remind me of, of, of Curtis. You know, you got in this car, you can't mess with his radio. He already had his tracks ready to go. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you was going to listen to it. And if it was a song he wanted you to hear, he would wait till you got in the car and then press play. <laughs> uh, yep. Yep, that that sounds about right. <laughs> hey, Dion, this is the last halftime question, man. I mean, uh, quick hitter. Three essential items you got to take with you when you are playing overseas. My music, definitely. That was the first and foremost. And at the time when I was playing over there, bro, it, it was, you know, you didn't get TV in English. I mean, you had two channels in English. I had Eurosport and CNN. Wow. So I would I would stack up on, on all the bootleg DVDs I couldn't. <laughs> 
So so you know so you know what he's saying, right? Before before he went overseas, he had to make a stop at the barber shop. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. And really, whatever that um and I used to make trips to come back and get whatever those essential foods and snacks, mm. whatever I, I had to take with me. Had to take my hot Cheetos with me because you can't get hot Cheetos over there, bro. Wow. I mean, to this day, I still eat those, and I probably shouldn't because I put, put on a couple more pounds. I should probably <laughs> leave them Cheetos alone. But you know, whatever that essential snack was, because we had to take it with because they just didn't. They you know they didn't eat like that in Spain, so got to they got to make sure you got it. I know when the people, the locals saw you eat some Cheetos, I know they was like, what the hell is he eating? <laughs> oh, I turned on, I turned a whole lot of people on a bunch of stuff that they had never had. I started making trips when I was bringing my stuff back during, over Christmas break. I'd be bringing them the same shit back. Yeah, could you bring me one of those? I'm like, yeah, I got you. I got you. Well, D, we appreciate you doing halftime with us, man. Uh, we want to get right back into this thing. Here it is, man, leading up to the draft. Did you have any insight to where you might go and how many teams did you work out for? Oh, man. I, I I zipped back and forth across. I mean, when I say from north, south, east, and west, I, I was all over the country. You know, at that time, you know, I was looked at as a tweener, mm. um, being that six, seven area. And I had been told that, you know, hey, you can go anywhere from seven to 17. Mm. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> all right. Draft night comes. And I didn't go to New York. I stayed and watched it with uh, Jimmy Collins and, mm. and my, at his house with his family. And my family came down, my mom, my grandmother and everybody came down and we're watching this together. And I got three phone calls. Mark Bartlestein was my agent mm. uh, and, and over at Priority Sports. And I got three phone calls from Mark throughout the first half okay uh the first round i'm sorry of the draft so he called me at 14 and was like dallas is going to take you now at 14 and then i got another call back quickly he was like i think they're going to do something else that's not the second so next phone call came um was with the bulls he called me right before the bulls he was like i think the bulls are going to take you now they just told me they're going to take you so i tell everybody in the house i'm going to the bulls mm -hmm. and you know, they they started because they drafted Dickie Simpkins that day. Mm. So, you know, they did, you know, and I'm like, they're like, Dickie Simpkins. I'm like, what? <laughs> wow. Everybody in the house looking at me like, what? I know they was like, fire his agent. Yeah, exactly. And I'm sitting there, I'm a little pissed now. Next phone call comes in. Um, he was like, Dion, you're going now to Dallas. So, of course, I didn't say nothing because I, I just made an ass out of myself when I thought I was going to the Bulls. And Dallas calls it 28th, the very next pick. Um, but, but, yeah, you 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 hear and, – and this is one of the things I try to tell people, uh, especially Illinois fans, about Io this year. And they were like, yeah, you know, he's going to go here, he's going to go here. I'm like, y'all need to sit down and relax because no one knows where this kid is going to go. Mm. You know, they had him, the Bulls even had him slotted at going 19. Mm. I mean, we had heard that he was going to go somewhere between 14. I had heard that he was going to go somewhere between 14 and 21. Wow. He slept all the way to 38. And I'm like, wow, this thing in, well, Dion, how'd that happen? I'm like, because you just never know. Right. 
those, you know, when they're sitting in their war room and they think something happened and this happens mm-hmm. and somebody gets taken here, now they start reshuffling. Mike, you just never yeah. know. But I tell you this, though, about Io, I bet there's 31 teams wishing they had drafted his butt Absolutely. in. <laughs> Absolutely. There are 31 of them now that are like, oh, damn, we've made a mistake. That dude's a baller. You know, young fella doing his Ooh. thing. He was all he was nice in college, but his game is fit mm-hmm. for it was gonna adapt. He was gonna adapt to the pro level yes. like this. Because his confidence yes. and his just his just the way he played, he has he plays with an effort all the time, dude. I tell you, I, when I, when guys would come, of course, I cover Illinois basketball, but I talked to a lot of the scouts and the guys that would come to and I'd be like, Yeah, we why we don't know that I'm like, bro. I was like, trust me. <laughs> You guys don't get to see him all the time. I see this kid all the time. I was like, his work ethic, his drive, his, and I don't, and I don't want to use ego in a bad way, but this kid will not allow himself to fail. Yes. I was like, it's just not going to happen. I was like, he's going to get better every step of the way he's going to get better. Now I talked to one of my boys the other day, NBA scout. He was like, Deion, he was like, they're saying that he could possibly be like a Kawhi Leonard or, uh, who else name did they use? They said, I was like, man, I told you that. <laughs> I told you this kid was going to do nothing but get mm-hmm. better. You know, and, and his, like you said, his game is suited for the NBA. It's, yep. It wasn't really suited for yep. college. It was suited for the NBA. And, and he was still killing in college. I'm like, come get, on, man. Getting to the but, rim, getting to his spots on his pull-ups. And what I like about him playing with yeah. the Bulls, man, is that it's the right fit. And the thing is, this dude is playing in the fourth quarter. He finishing exactly. games. Exactly. So you see where the trust lies. And, and that's one of the things about this, this kid that I was trying to I, I tell anybody. The fans would not be talking to him, which, they, you know, this kid, his drive, his, his what he gets from Q and his mom and his family and just how he was raised, how they were mm-hmm. raised. I mean, this this kid's cut from a different cloth. I mean, when I when he came back, when I saw him, I'm like, bro, I was, I was like, you leaving this year, right? He was like, yeah, I'm leaving. I was like, I just ask you one thing: make sure you come back and get your degree. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's only he's less than a half, he's less than a semester away right. when he graduated. Anyway, I'm like, make sure you. He was like, Dion. He was like, you know who my mother and father are, right? Mm. I was like, yeah. <laughs> he was like, so he was like, that, that that's not even a question. I'm like, all right, then I'm in deal. Because that's the peep, that's that's the cloth he comes from. I mean, so I'm not I'm not shocked mm-hmm. about what right. he's doing right you now. Because you said you saw it all. You saw it every day, every time they play. Like, yep, yep. I'm like this dude's this dude's the real deal. To hear this from you, who get to see him all the time, and now the the world didn't didn't they well I O they don't know too much about him, but. Now the whole world is seeing it, and it's like, oh my god, oh look at Io, oh this guy is. I'm like, damn, but they, they people that know him already knew he was going to be doing this when he got here. Exactly, exactly. You know, but that's the difference when when you have local coverage of mm-hmm. team, of, of 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 teams, or like we cover Illinois. I mean, so I, I watch the other teams in the Big right. Ten, but I cover Illinois. Mm-hmm. So when the national guys come in and they come, they come over to us and ask us questions. Well, what about this guy? What about this guy? And I mean, this is the same thing I tell them about Kofi Colbert. 
Mm. I'm like, man, don't y'all be fooled by him. He's just this big lumber, like he's this big lumbering guy. I'm like, this dude wins sprints. He beats the guards in sprints. I was, you know, I'm like, and he's been playing this game for five years. I'm like, wow. this kid has, I was like, you talking about me? He's the same. He's like I was. This kid played soccer. Wow. I mean, even when he, even when he's warming up, they're warm-ups, he's warming up with a soccer ball, kicking it back and forth with one of the dudes that's from Europe. I'm like, that's that's what he was. He I mean, play, he uh, plays with a nastiness and a killer instinct now, too. Like there's a scrap, there's a growl on his face. He's trying to, you can see him trying to intimidate opponents and everything. He tried to dunk everything when he turned around. I love it. I love it. I I I want him to I want him to turn around and el some elbow somebody in the face <laughs> and dunk it on him and then just raise raise his hand and be like, all right, my bad, ref. I take the one right, five. Right. First of all, he don't try to intimidate people. He is intimidating. Man, I don't want to guard that dude, man. That dude, that dude, that's a mini Hulk, man. I ain't anybody trying to guard. I want I want I, I want to guard his ass. I want to know what it yeah. feel like to get to, to be on the block and he in front of me. No, you ain't gonna be on the block. You gonna be on the floor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> hey, going, can you hey. can you imagine going through one of them screens and that dude hit you? Shh. I, I'm gonna say Kofi Gorbarn, you got two dribbles to back me down and I and I ain't moving. What you gonna do? First of all, he'll <laughs> need two face. dribbles. I, I, I'm not even doing that one, Art. I'm not even doing that, dog. He'll need so, two dribbles. Please, every time I'm walking, every time I'm walking through State Farm, somebody come up to be like, yeah. You know, how would you like to have played against Kofi? I say, just like everybody else, nobody wants to play against Kofi. Come on, man. Wow. So do, do you think you could have do you think you could have done something against him? I'm like, yeah, because I'm a scorer, bro. I'm a scorer. I know how to use angles and get around people. I was like, but I don't I'm not defending him. Man, you crazy. Come on, man. You see that dude body, man? man yeah. That, that, exactly. dude, that dude biceps bigger than some people's head, man. Come on, I ain't nobody guarding that dude, man. But but no. let me ask you this, D. Dallas draft you, but you choose to go overseas. What what was that process? Why why make that decision? You know, part of it was um, before that I had gone to Dallas had two camps um, before all this stuff happened. We had a uh, rookie camp, and then we had like a preseason camp, and and I played really well in both camps. Mm. So at the end of the second, and this was leading up to um, the summer league stuff that they were doing. After that second one, Dick Motto was the coach at the time. And he pulled me in and he was like, Dion, he was like, man, we love you, blah, blah, blah. It goes through this whole thing. He was like, but we want to make sure that, you know, we switch your position. They wanted me to play the small forward. Mm. He was like, we want to switch your position so you can expect not to play that much this year. Mm. And I'm like, like, but dude, I was just, you know, other than Jamal Mashburn, Jimmy Jackson, um, uh, Jason Kidd, I didn't get the rest of these dudes work. Right. I'm like, what do you mean? But see, and this was what I didn't understand. You got to earn your cookies when you, when you get to mm. the league. I don't, get, I don't care how about how good a player you are. You got to earn your stripes. Um, and I didn't get that. And at that time, that was not one of those things that they explained to you. And Dallas was also very dysfunctional at that time. We had, I think it was two GMs by the time, you know, camp was supposed to come mm-hmm. in, like the <clears throat> veteran camp was supposed to come in. We had two, two different GMs. Right. So 11th hour before I'm about to sign my contract with Dallas, 
uh, Mark comes for me. He's like, Deion, he was like, I know you got the contract in hand. He was like, but I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't present this offer to you. It was a team from Spain. Um, being a kid from where we're, where we're from, from the west side of Chicago, I wanted to see more things. Mm. I wanted to experience more of life. And as I said to you before, you know, it wasn't for me, it wasn't NBA or bus. Right. So I'm like, all right, you know what? This is a, this is a great opportunity. Um, my senior year, <clears throat> when I was at, uh, when I was at Simeon, we had gone, our basketball team and actually Marshall's girls basketball team had gone to Amsterdam. Wow. Uh, yeah. So we played over there for like two weeks, 10 days, 10 days, two weeks, something like that. And I loved it. Really? Loved it. And I was like, oh man, I was, I was like, there's, there's something else out here in the world. So I called coach Collins and I'm like, coach, this is, this is the scenario. You know, I break down to him, Dallas, of course, I break down this new offer mm-hmm. to him, uh, which was for more than what I would have made uh, my first year in, in Dallas. Mm. And so at the end of our conversation, he was like, Dion, it's not about where you make your money. He was like, it's about being able to do what you want to do at the end and not what you have to do. So I'm like, I'm sitting back and I'm like, you know what? I was like, shit, then I'm going to do this. The NBA is not going anywhere. I can always come back the next year because uh, they just retain you. They retain your rights. Right. Um, so I went over my first year, man. I was uh, rookie of the year. Uh, well, if they had a rookie of the year, I would have been rookie of the year. I had the highest evaluation of any and all of the rookies that were there. And so I, my plan was to come back after that in 95. But then the NBA went on strike in 95. Yeah. So when they went on strike, I went back over um, and had another great year, made more money. And I was like, damn, that's pretty cool. Yeah, by this time, by this time, you feel like shit. I'd have made the right decision. Yes, yes, because I was, I was loving it. I was loving it. You, you playing, you excelling, you, you winning. Yep, you loving, yep. you loving the city that you in. Like shit, I know you was like, I like this shit. <laughs> exactly, and that, and that's what it was. I was like, man, this is this is great. And then Dallas came back year three and was like, all right, well, we got this. But then this is. What's up, everyone? It's Boss Britt. And it's DJ Excel. If you're a fan of the queer culture and lifestyle, then be sure to check out and subscribe to The No Homo Show. We're a show that shares true stories that are uncut, funny, relatable, and of course, gay from a lesbian's perspective. That's right. Brought to you exclusively by the Revolt Podcast Network. And you saw it. Will, you pointed out the smile on my face. This is when Malaga came calling to the table. Oh. And I, you know, and again, having been there when we went to play the team, I was like, "Fuck, do I go to Dallas or I go to Malaga?" <laughs> I'm going to Malaga, uh-huh. and, and that, that was that. After that, man, I just I didn't look back uh-huh. after that. Yeah. Well, you said you wanted you wanted to experience life, and I I, I guarantee you did. Yeah. Hey, I, I, let me tell you, I was over there 14 years, uh, almost lived there. Mm. I don't regret, I don't regret one iota mm. uh, of having been over there all that time. Not one bit. The only thing I, I tell people when I joke about this is, you know, the only thing the NBA would have given me that I didn't get over there, I would have probably been recession proof. Mm. You know? Yeah. You lose a lot. Of the, when, when that tech bubble bust. Yeah. Lost a pretty nice chunk mm-hmm. of change. Mm-hmm. 
And that probably, you know, would have made less of a difference um, if if I had been played in the NBA. You know, by the time your second contract coming around, if you're doing some good things, you know, you're 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 in real life changing money. Absolutely. That 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 probably be the only thing. But man, everything else, the experiences, um, my my family, kids being, I I loved every minute I was over there. So I got to ask you this though: nothing. Just I'm just double checking on this. Nothing in you said, man, I wish I would have put an NBA uniform on. No. But again, it, it, it wasn't, when I was coming up, it wasn't about that. I mean, I hope to change my life. Mm. Yeah. So my life, but everything that I was thinking was being, was being changed. You know, I was bring my, I, I was able to put my mom through rehab, get her all set on her feet. Now she's one of the bit, the best, the biggest uh, real estate brokers in Arizona. I mean, I was Damn. able to pay my brother to college, sent my brother to college. I was able to bring family overseas so they can see and experience different things. So there was so much that I was able to do. And then to be honest, if I had been in the league, I would have been able to do some of those same things. But my parents, I, I wouldn't have gone to Europe. Well, hell, I'm going to go try way over there for when I got the Caribbean, Mexico, and all this other stuff here. I probably wouldn't have done that. But that kind of really changed my perspective on life. Wow. So, you know, that ball did what it was supposed to do yeah. for me, man. And it just, you know, didn't incorporate a, an NBA uniform. So, no, didn't didn't really miss wow. it. Wow. That is amazing, dude. Like, that's crazy. That is crazy. <laughs> it, it, it really is, because I said this earlier, your hoop dream story is so different. And, uh, yes. and, and, and totally but different. But yet you ended up still in the ultimate hoop dreams. Yeah. Where where did he's calling uh, games? Yeah. <laughs> and and where did that perspective yeah. like where did that come from? Was that something your mom gave you, your grandmother gave you? Just to view things differently. Because again, you know, when AJ and I, you know, our thing was kind of like NBA or bust. Even though we accomplished great things outside mm-hmm. of the game, but I think for both right. of us, there's still yeah. that peace in us that's saying, yep. "Man, we still didn't get the ultimate goal, which was to play yeah. in the NBA." Where did you get that different life perspective from? There was my grandmother, and then there was really mm. life. Um, my grandmother used to always tell me, "You know, you're bigger than the village." Mm. And, you know, and, and she would say there's more outside of where we mm. live. So you need you need to get out there and experience life. So it was always about experiencing life. It wasn't necessarily about, you know, the sport or the ball or anything like that. And then again, you got to remember when I grew up, man, I didn't like basketball. I didn't play basketball because I loved the game. I, I played it for the competition. I played it to change my living situation and that was always was the focus. Mm. Um, didn't really matter if I played in the in the pros or not. I was like, I can do this so I can get to college. So then after college, and you know, I'll tell you, give you this. My eighth grade speech when I graduated for Yale, I wanted to be a Supreme Court justice. So I, I, I that yeah, I, I see you, AJ. I'm like, wow. <laughs> was it? Who the hell thinks like and that was, in eighth grade? Because I had to do, well, see, in my school, um, yeah, I don't know, you remember who Tempest Bledsoe was on, off the Cosby yes. show? So yeah. her father was my teacher. 
was one of my teachers, Mr. Bledsoe. Her real dad. Her real dad. So Mr. Bledsoe, Miss Palmer, Miss um, Young, Mr. Smith, they were always, when we were at Yale, and I think I, I listened. And, and I got, I'm in a group uh, with a lot of the people from my class at Yale that had these things. They always taught us. It, it, was, it wasn't a sport. It was always about expanding your mind and, and who you are. And, and that's, you know, mm. so I think it came from a lot of influences, but I would have to say the biggest one was my grandmother and using mm. basketball to just better my life as a whole didn't necessarily mean just playing professionally. It just meant, you know, getting my college degree and being able to grow from there. So that, that right. would, I, I guess in a long winded answer, that's, that's probably the answer. Uh, Will. Oh, that's, that's powerful. I guess just a follow-up question to that is because we see so many kids today, man, that they are striving for that dream and putting everything into it. Even as you were coaching, how, how do, what do you say to kids? How do you help them balance? As well as the parents. The parents are like living the dream, trying to push the dream on these kids. Like, and I mean, yeah. This is this is this is one of the the difficulties that I found when I was coaching, um, because all of the parents think their kid was the next Kobe, the next LeBron, you know. And I, I knew the reality of the percentages that were going mm -hmm. to go on to the next level, whether it was the NBA yep. or going to Europe. So I'm looking at this. So I'm I'm constantly trying to convince the the parents. No, I'm not trying to shoot down your dream or, or Tommy's dream. Right. But what you're making mm -hmm. a plan A needs to be your plan B. That's what mm. that you still need to work your butt off for plan B. Right. But your plan A needs to be graduating from college. You know, and, and I'm not mm -hmm. I'm not going to be the first one to fool myself and say that every a college um, degree is a, a guarantee that you're going to be successful in life. But what I can guarantee you is your road is a lot harder if you don't have it. Don't have it. That's right. You know, because you're limiting, you know, you're limiting doors that yep. you can walk through for yourself. And that was what I used to tell parents all the time. This is what I used to tell kids all the time. You know, I'm going to help you become the best basketball player you can be. I'm going to help mm. you become the best man you can be. But I'm not doing my job if I'm not giving you the whole story. Yep. So I got to give you the whole picture so you can understand, one, what you're up against and, and the, the work that you got to put in. And understand that guys on that NBA level are special. Yeah. They're special. You know, yeah. they're, they're the best athlete. They're the best of the best of the best athletes that you've ever seen in your life. The 12th man on the bench is. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know, and that's the dude that's not going to have a job at the end of the year, mm -hmm. <laughs> he's going to be somewhere else mm -hmm. yep. or maybe not even playing. Yep. And he is probably one of the best dudes that you, one of the best players that you would have ever played against. And, and that's, I used to try to give people a dose of, of reality, which yeah. is also one of the reasons that I was like, okay, you know what? I got to get out of coaching. Mm. I was like, because it's, it's too difficult to convince mm. people of real life. One of the players that played for us at UIC you know, he'd come mm -hmm. sit in my office all the time. Love them. I'm not going to put his name out there because you guys probably know him. And I know some people that listen to this might know him. Mm -hmm. But I'm sitting down with him. I'm like, bro, you need to do 
better in school. Oh, well, coach, don't worry about it. I'm going to the league anyway. I say, really? Say, how many points you averaging here? Mm-hmm. I'm like, bro, you're not even averaging double figures here at UIC mm. in the Horizon League. <laughs> how are you going to the league? Oh, well, if I don't go to the league, I'm going overseas. I say, okay, I was like, let me tell you something. I played overseas 14 years. You're not just competing against the guys that are coming out at your level, because a lot of these guys are the ones that are going to be trying to get jobs overseas. You're competing against guys that are leaving the league. You are competing competing against the Europeans that are already there. Over there? Yeah. I was like, that have built up their names and resumes, not to mention the new guys that they're building up in in their leagues over there. I'm like, come on, man. I'm like, let's be realistic about this. I'm not telling you you can't do it because I love your game. And you got another year in order to improve as a player. I was like, but let's be realistic. Mm. We got a better, and I had a kid at the JUCO level mm-hmm. when I was at Lewis and Clark. This kid goes into his sophomore year. It's time to move him on. I'm like, bro, and, I, and, and this is God's honest truth. Me and my assistant coach's uh, girlfriend had mm-hmm. set it up for him to go to Harvard. Really? Harvard from the junior college level. And his dad came to me and was like, Coach, do you know Bill Self? I'm like, Yeah, I know Coach Self. Why? I'm like, That ain't gonna happen. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm, yeah, I'm not gonna even sit here and pull your leg. That's not going to happen. Well, there's a kid on the team. They play AAU together. They were always so great together. I'm like, Not gonna happen. <laughs> uh, this, this is what I got for him. You know, he got this, he got a couple of low D1s over here that really like him. And Harvard. Yes. I believe. Because of his upbringing, he was going to be going to Harvard for free. <clears throat> free. I'm like, he's like, no, coach, he wants to hoop. He wanted to play. I'm like, you could play at Harvard. You could play at Harvard. I mean, I'm like, you could play at Harvard. He's like, no, no, he wants to go to this school, this school. I'm like, man, I'm like, okay. Didn't Tommy Amica coach there? Yep. But this was before, before Tommy. Tommy. This right. was but before I, Tommy. I know Tommy coached there like, wow. But that was but that was the thing. So you ask about, you know, the parents. The parents are hard. The parents are really hard. But any kid, and, and if there are people that are listening to this, that does not mean don't stop. Don't right. Work. Don't mean stop dreaming. Don't 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 stop dreaming. Don't stop, exactly. uh, you know, trying to work for that that NBA or that overseas. But it's also uh, yeah. Mr. 14 year overseas. Tell them that about American players when they go over there. They ain't got no problem with sending your ass oh. back home if you don't go over there and produce. Quick as Tell them, come over there talking about Quick you a heartbeat. big man and you putting up eight and eight. Yep. Send him home. Yeah. Yep. By the time Christmas break comes around, you can be for sure there's going to be a mass exodus of people from teams in mm. Europe. It happens every year. Wow. But see, part of that is not just their plan. A lot of the guys don't get over there. They stay closed-minded. They don't open their minds. My, my 14-year career lasted through injuries the whole nine Yeah. because I went over there open-minded. I went over there and not only connected with the Americans, I connected with whether it was the Spanish, the Spaniards, the Israelis, um, the the Grecian players, wow. the, the Bulgarian players. I was friends with everybody. Mm. I had to make sure that I always knew the owner. I knew the owner's wife. I knew the owner's kids. I knew the GM and his family. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I played the game. Yeah. You know, that's why today I tell people, you need help, call me, because I still got all those connections that I had over yeah. there. Not all of them. A lot of them. 
that I had over there because I built those relationships. And as you mentioned, so if there's anybody listening and they get an opportunity to go over there, don't be closed minded, man. Got to open your mind. You got to make sure you meet people and network. Wow. That's for sure. That's a, that's a, that's some ton of information, man. Some people need to call you, man. I mean, that's just. I, but it's just life information too. We're just talking about is. being being honest with yourself and and being able to sit down with your family and have a real evaluation of what's best. Yeah. And we don't see that yep. a lot. And uh, but D, I want to move into man your post career. Talk to us a little about you know. What has Dion Thomas been up to since your playing days? De- Dion has Dion's done a lot, man. Um, and, and I'm working on I'm working on some new stuff now. Mm-hmm. But De- Dion's done a lot. When I when I first uh, retired or, or changed careers, I won't say retired. I'm not old enough to retire. But when I changed careers, you know, I was like a lot of players, like a lot of players that 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 in their career. It's like, okay, what do I do now? Far too many of us question what do we do now or who are we mm-hmm. since we're not bouncing the ball or throwing the ball anymore. We question who yep. we are and, and what our possibilities at doing. So first thing I did was like a lot of guys, I went right into coaching because that's what I knew. Mm-hmm. That was the easiest thing that was, you know, would feed my identity, would feed that that hunger that I still had to be around fun and competition. So I coached one year in high school in Florida. Um, I was living in Florida at the time. So I coached one year down there. Then I took a job at Lewis and Clark uh, down in Godfrey, Illinois, where I was the athletic director and the head coach. Um, And I took that because I wanted to learn that administrative side uh, of the game as well as coach. Uh, Two years later, well, five years later, I took a job at UIC. Um, Howard Moore hired me. And then Howard got fired and they brought in Steve McLean, who was over at Indiana first, who's now at Georgia. And after that, I resigned. I was like, okay, you know what? I've been around basketball long enough. I need to do something else. Um, so through networking and contacts, I had a contact over at the College of Education at UIC. So he and I started working together and I developed and worked with him, worked with him to develop and implement a program called UIC Engage. So what it was, I was the director of UIC Engage, and we would hire um, graduate students and undergraduate students, and we would send them out to the elementary schools, whether it were churches or after-school programs, to mentor, do homework, help, Mm. and to do whatever we could to get those kids thinking about college. Yeah. You know, or thinking about the possibilities other than, you know, all of the crap that's taken on, you know, taking place in, in the Austin neighborhood all the way down to the, well, the university village now, all the way over there, because that's kind of the area where we could venture out from UIC to go to. Um, so I did that for two years. And then the president from Illinois uh, contacted me and, and wanted to start a new position um, within his office. Mm. So I took the job there. So for two years, I went to work in government relations for the University of Illinois system. Mm. So for all three campuses, I was the community relations coordinator um, for that. So basically what that was, I worked with the local state um, government as well as the Chicago, the CPS mm-hmm. and, and other 
community organizations to build relationships with the mm. university, whether they were academic relationships um, and connections with the university. So I did that for two years and I, I kind of got, I won't say burned out, but disenchanted by the work that I mm-hmm. was doing because it was too slow. Mm. Everything, everything in higher ed and government takes too mm. long. And so some of these schools that I'm working at are schools that I went to, right. you know? So I'm like, okay, we need help like now. <laughs> these kids need help quick, you know? So I've developed plans to get this done quick, but it just doesn't, you know, that's not how higher ed or government works. That's not how education or government works. They, they're mm. slow. And so I got a little disenchanted with that. And then that's when Josh Whitman uh, called me. They were retooling the office here in Chicago um, for and so now I'm the associate director of development for the University of Illinois Athletics, which I'm basically shortly said I'm a fundraiser for U of I Athletics. So I work with a lot of our donors um, to to bring in money for the university to provide scholarships, uh, student experiences, as well as you know bricks and mortar to be able to build those buildings down there. So we raise the money along with my team, well the team that I'm a part of to raise money for university athletics. So that's what I'm currently doing um, alongside, you know, I did the big 10 for five years, but now I'm mainly with um, Learfield, which is the Illinois basketball radio. Wow. You got so many jobs. Can we have one of them? <laughs> <laughs> Bro, I, I, I'm helping people find whatever they can find, you know, and that's, that's kind of the, the next endeavor um, is uh, I'm putting together a consulting company uh, right now, uh, a group on helping athletes, former athletes, the uh, ones that are graduating from college or that are coming back into what I call the real world, you know, find internships, find jobs, you know, because we as athletes have learned, you know, we got soft skills and things that we've learned that we didn't even realize we were learning. <laughs> We had to be focused. We had to be focused when we were playing. We had to be driven in order to push the product. We had to be able to work within the team. And let's just be quite honest. Your boss is going to chew your ass out every once in a while. So what does your coach do? So you, you already have all of these innate tools to be able to use and be able to offer, you know, to corporate America or, or whatever um, um, governing body to be able to go slide right in there and be productive. So you know, I got that's that's kind of the future project that I'm looking at and, and I'm trying to get done to get off the ground. Hey, didn't the I, guy I that. uh who invented PayPal come from University of Illinois? Yes, the guy that invented PayPal as well as Paylocity. Yeah. Um yeah, so you know, we got a bunch of pretty good uh grass there. I mean, it's so many people that went to University of Illinois that's really got money money like in Chicago area like yeah. doctors people yeah. at Northwestern I mean people live up in the by Evanston I, I know a lot of people up there Illinois yeah. alums uh, doctors I'm surgeons I mean it's a it's a it's a, shit oh, yeah. Illinois got some people man some donors <laughs> fundraisers shit yeah. I, man but it gives me an opportunity you know being in this fundraiser role to really build my network for for whatever that that next step is in life but at the same time being able to do a 360 you know because if it wasn't for you know fundraisers at that time when i was coming out right there ain't no scholarship for me 
You know, right, so right. now I get to do that very same thing and for scholarships for guys that are guys and girls that are coming into Illinois. Well, let me just put it like this, AG. The University of Illinois sitting on a four billion dollar endowment. But <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, a couple, hey, couple good buckets. D, I want I want to applaud you for doing that program at uh, UIC, man. Uh, uh, having them kid, having the uh, graduates go out and speak to the uh, elementary school kids because, I mean, those kids have already in their head where I live at. I why you come talking to me about college? Like I'm I'm not gonna be able to afford college. Like they. They need that. No, you you can't afford yeah. college. You know what I'm saying? They need that reassurance from people who are at college. I'm so I'm. I give you big ups for doing that program, man, and, and letting them kids know early, third and fourth grade, like, oh, we can go to college. Now, nah, and that's what and that's why I did it. Art is is to really, you know, like I mentioned earlier, when I went to Illinois, I was able to bring my brother to campus. I was able to bring cousins to campus that had never seen stuff like that. I mean, right. shit, I lived right behind UIC's campus. And at that time, it was more of a commuter campus than anything else. But yep. I was able to walk on a college campus. I mean, how many kids from the village have never even been downtown? Yeah. You, you know, so and, and this is a if you walk, it's a 45 minute walk. You can get you can just walk there. But just the whole idea and the mentality of being able to see something. And this is why I'm so thankful to my grandmother. She's like, you're bigger than the village. Yeah, And I mean, and my granny and I would literally walk from Roosevelt and Damon downtown because we can only afford to go one way. So either we were going to take the bus down, <laughs> we were going to take the bus down and walk back, or we were going to walk there and then take the bus back. It, one way we could afford to get there. So during the, the, the daylight time, we would walk because, and this is winter now, so it, it's cold. So we would yeah. walk. So we would walk down up and down the street and look in, you know, the Macy's window and all these other windows, you know, I'm like, damn, this mm -hmm. is here. Yeah. And then we take the bus back. So, I mean, I got to take my hat off to my granny because she was, she was forward thinking, yeah. you know, for me to see that there was some other shit outside of where outside we live, you know, outside of, you know, magic Don Juan driving up and down the street and his, his, Green caddy, or, or or my cousins them standing on the corner doing their thing, or the wine heads on the other corner. She used right. to take it out herself to show me that there was something different, and that program gave me an opportunity to be able to talk to some kids and and really go. And that's why for me, it it hurt me when I left that position. It hurt me the fact that shit just moves so slow. Mm -hmm. Wow, mm -hmm. you know, they, people are doing things. It's just hard to get it done and get it through. And I like the other program that you're doing too. I mean, the, the, the program you're working on now, man, I think that is so huge because a lot of athletes, I'm gonna say a high percentage, we focused so much on the game while we, was in, while we were in school. Mm -hmm. We didn't have time to do internships or invest, you know, in levels of, of really preparing ourselves for life after the game yeah, because I, you know, AG and I, we talk about this all the time. I mean, I even remember when I was being recruited by Marquette, and I still remember with my coach Kevin O'Neill. He said, "You know, Will, you know, he put up here, he go basketball. He hold up one finger, has to be the second most important thing in your life, and then he put up two fingers, and school must come first. And I'm like, man, the subliminal message is. <laughs> 
basketball is one, and then everything else after that, you figure that out. But right, I, yeah. I appreciate the program that you're creating, man, because I often thought, man, it, it would have been nice for the NCAA on some level for when guys left school that there would have been a program, something to help them, you know, assimilate yeah. into the real world. But yeah. there really isn't. Once you're done playing, thank you for your service. Here's your jersey to hang up on your wall. Mm-hmm. Goodbye. You yeah. Know? yeah. A lot of truth in that. And and that's that was one of the things, you know, way back when I retired in 09, I, I started thinking of this. But, you know, life gets in, you got to, you know, all the other stuff that I was doing. And this is why now I want to get this done and get it built and get it going. Mm. Um, because it's just far too many, as you said, we, we, we're we not equipped to be assimilated into the real world. Yeah. You know, and, and I was telling a guy that's helping me build this out. You know, I'm like, dude, I was like, being an athlete, the life of an athlete is not real. You, you guys started playing, like you said, when you were eight, nine years old. Yep. From eight, nine years old, and don't be real good. Right. You know, you're real good. So now, especially with AAU and everything, you got people telling you from you eight, nine years old that you're going to the league. So this is all you were concentrating on yep. all this time. So when you graduate, if you get to college, and when you graduate from college, you don't make that next step. Now it's just like, okay, what am I doing? Right. Who am I? This is all mm-hmm. I poured my whole life into. Mm-hmm. That that has to be changed. We, we got to switch that over. And, and there has to be vehicles for young people when they do finish uh, yeah. to be able to move on and find something different. Absolutely. And you know what, uh, uh, Dion, throughout while they was filming me, I always had it in my back of my head, you know, I might not make the lead. Like, I, it was it was that. Like, I might. I, and I was cool with that. I was like, so what? I'm already I'm already equipped with how to go get a job, how to be, you know, just how to be a citizen out in this world and being able to put my Arthur A.G. of who I am, not just a basketball player, but Arthur A.G. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wasn't going to have a problem with that had I not made the league. And lo and behold, through basketball and all the relationships and what Hoop Dreams taught me, me and Will did not even know that we was going to be inspiring other people to not just to have a, a wildness about trying to make basketball, but a wildness about life. I mean, you, 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 you'd be surprised how many people come up to me and William or send us messages and tell us, man, watching that movie, man, help me with my job, help me with my family, help me. It w-. I'm like, I'm like, like, really? Like we never thought in a million years that it would do that. Oh yeah. I, I, and that's why I told you when I was overseas, I had people talking to me about your movie, the movie you guys were in. I mean, we we never know the impact that we have on people, you know, from the maybe it's something simple that that we do, and we and we never know that. And not of course, you you guys' situation was special. You were able to watch and be able filmed and have these things, you know, take place. So you were able to experience something different outside of what you guys were experiencing in your everyday life. Not everybody yeah. gets that. And and that's the that's the part where I think people forget themselves, lose themselves um, in what they do instead yeah. of who they are. You know, and like you said, hey, hey, you know, Arthur A.G. knew that he could inject, interject Arthur A.G. into this and he can. Yeah. You already had who you were. You know, most people, you know, most people only wrap themselves around what that little orange pill does. And, and you know, it's so funny when I, when I look at Will. 
and his growth from where he came from, Will was always kind of laid back or, you know, he ain't going to say nothing too quick. He was a listener. He was a watcher. But now, from him being in the movie and his life, the dude was just, I mean, public speaking. Like, was you afraid to be telling your stories? You speaking it from your mouth, Will, when you went out to go speak to different places. And then that propels you into becoming a pastor. Uh, You know what I'm saying? I think a lot of that is kind of like what Dee was talking about. When you find that passion that, 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 that resonate with, I guess the best way to say it is, man, it's a difference between what you love to do and, and what you know you're born to do. Like, I love the game of basketball. But as that transition happened over the course of my life, I did recognize that, man, we had a story to tell that was outside of the game. And D is right. A lot of guys didn't get what we got. I think Hoop Dreams, man, forever changed our lives and put us in a different kind of vehicle to do greater and then not just do greater things, but want to see greater things happen in our lives. So it almost like it, it like I believe sometimes you're just forced yep. into greatness. And I think Hoop Dreams forced us into these roles that we're in now. And and D, I just want to commend you, man, because the things that your story, like I say, man, it ain't a typical Hoop Dream story. Yeah. But you are living the Hoop Dreams life, man. It's just, it's just mind blowing to me right now, man. But listen, we've taken up so much of your time, but we do got a couple of questions. I, I just got to ask you about this. You've been on the college scene. You've seen it from every level. What's your take on the NIL situation? And do you think it's helping the game, hurting the game? Is it taking the players' focus off of the game? What do you think about this? First of all, that's a that's a great question. And, and I love this topic, and I, I do. Um, I, I wish at our times when we were playing, we were able to benefit from NIL. And not just because, you know, the NCAA or the universities, you know, that because that's normally the argument. Oh, well, the universities and the NCAA are making all the money and the kids aren't making anything. What NIL provides for these kids to do is to have money for themselves, to start a life for themselves, whether it's uh, uh, hopefully learning to invest, learning to put money aside. But it also helps, you know, a lot of the kids, where where, where we're from, you get to send some money home to your people. You get to help your moms. You get Mm -hmm. to help your grandma. You know, you get to send your little brother to school where his gear is actually halfway decent and he ain't, you know, got clothes on. So that's what NIA, when I look at it from that standpoint, I am so happy for these young people that yep. they're able to benefit uh, from their name, image, and likeness. What does it hurt the game? I, I don't think so. I, I'm I'm hoping my my hope is that it will have the opposite effect of the one and done, um, so to say. Because you know, you got a lot of people that'll go to college and then they'll leave, you know, trying to get to the league, yep. trying to chase that dream. So now if NIL can keep these kids in college because they're able to make some money while still getting their degrees and performing on the basketball court, I think it's a win. You know, I'll tell you just a real quick story. The other three games ago, I'm broadcasting the game down at Illinois and Kofi is our post-game interview. So I told Kofi afterwards, I'm like, bro, I know you will probably get a lot of people hitting you up to go to the league after this year. Cause he's going to be, if he's not player of the year, he's going to be damn close to it. 
So you're going to be getting people. I'm like, well, bro, you have not one year. You got two more years where this kid could make close to, if not over a million dollars a year. Wow, he's still in college. Not even, wow. Yeah. So you can take this, really start to build your own passive income, you know, where you're making money off of your money before you even think about having to leave the university. And I was like, and then thinking your legacy. I was like, I'm the all-time leading scorer. That shit's been up there for almost 30 years. Mm. Break that record. Break it. Get your your, num- your number hung up in the jersey just like Io just got his done, like mine is done, mm-hmm. and all these other great players. Get your, your jersey hung up there in the rafters. You don't have to do what, you know, some of the other guys right. did, which is leave early or, or leave. Because you can make a ton of money now. Being a top college prospect that he is, if like you said, if he stay two more years and yes. use that angle, like the NBA ain't going nowhere. The only thing I'm gonna be able to do is just get better. Wow. Yep. Yep. And that's the thing. And so that's that's you, you ask him. So doesn't does it help them? I'm happy that they have it. I think it'll keep more kids in college than trying to jump out. That's nothing but a positive. Now it's up to the coaches to figure out how to make that thing work. Because what you don't want is your kid having to go and fulfill his contract and it's during your practices. So as long as they can find a balance between, because they have to do something. You can't, but the way the law is in Illinois, I can't just write you a check. Well, the NCAA law as well. I can't just write you a check. You have to be doing something to earn said check, whether it's an autograph signing, making an appearance or, or whatever it is, you have to do something. So you don't want that something to be interfering with the season, because if that's the case, then the kid could get hurt on the flip side of it. So as long as the coaches uh, can work that out and they can make sure that those kids are still in class, still on the court for practice, doing their best in game, I I, I like the whole situation around. Let me ask you just a follow up to that. Does this also hurt on any level what you do in terms of fundraising? Because let's say if Nike, Gatorade or whatever were – giving that money to the university, now they're giving it to the, the student athlete. Does that change the game a little bit? Uh, it could. And, and I'm, again, not going to be naive to say, but I believe at the University of Illinois, with our donor base that we have, there are some people that will get, that, like you said, can give to both. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think it's going to hurt us or really affect us in any way. You know, maybe one or two situations here, but overall in general, no, I, I don't think it'll it'll have too much of an effect because I think our donors understand the most important thing that we do on campus is cover scholarship and student athlete experiences, which is helping them become better people, not right. just better athletes and prepare and trying to do some things to prepare them for after college and then the bricks and mortar. If they want the Kofis to keep coming to the University of Illinois, you have to keep giving mm. to the iFund because if all those other things aren't taken care of, we're not going to get these players. Yep. Wow. I was going exactly. to ask you about that. Does that change the recruiting game now? Because it's basically legal to give money in a sense. Well, the thing is, it's legal once they get to, well, from an NCAA standpoint, it's legal to give it to them when they get to campus. You're not supposed to be using that as a recruiting tool. Like I couldn't come to you guys and say, hey, 
I guarantee you, you come to my school, you're going to make a million dollars. You can't do that. You know, you, you can't do it. one. You can't guarantee that you're going to get somebody a million dollars, you know, because the donor might be like, uh, no. So you're not supposed to do that. But I, I still think if you have kids and kids ain't stupid, if I'm being recruited by Illinois and I'm watching what your team is doing, I'm watching, you know, them on social media and I can see the companies and things that they're working with, then I'm going to have an idea that this could be happen to me as well. Um, but they're not supposed to use it as a recruiting tool. But, you know, you know I mean, God, come on. We all know they're going. Can a University of Illinois, can they sell Kofi Kerbone shirts in a bookstore? And would they have to give him a piece? No, I, I don't know how those contracts work. So, but I'm going to say this from my opinion, because I don't know the exact numbers. I believe that now with that happening, there will probably have to be a percentage that, mm. that goes to the player. I think. I, I don't know for sure because I don't know what that whole marketing thing is. That's that's outside of my purview. But, you know, I, I can't if if the whole thing was about, you know, universities and others being able to, you know, use people's names, brands, you know, name, image and likeness. Yeah. That 21 jersey ain't worth it unless you got Coburn on the back of it. Yeah, you got that. If I'm Kofi Coburn right now, I'm going to the graphic design department in Illinois. I'm getting the best graphic design dude that just all he do is just come up with graphics and, and crazy things that you can that you can do around his name, Kofi Coburn. And I'm finna pump these shirts out for the rest of the going into the to, to the tournament. That dude will man, he would sell a lot, bro. He does. No, he's a great kid, man. And I do know a lot of these kids have T-shirt mm-hmm. um, deals. And so uh, that's not a bad idea, though. I just don't know how their right. deals are structured. But I'm with you. If I if I got a company doing it for me, yeah, I, I want to buy on a different shirt pumped out every month. I couldn't let you get out of this interview without asking you this. And this going to put some heat on you. But I need, I need from you. Okay, bring it. I like heat. The top five Alana players of all time. I got to go with Nick Anderson and Kendall Gill. Um, I, I think those are two of the baddest dudes that ever put on a uniform. If Nick had stayed there past the two years, you know. Who knows? I'm definitely throwing myself in there. So I, you know that's going to go. throwing myself in there. Wow. There's, there's just so many. If I reach back, um, Nick Witherspoon was an absolute double-double mm. beast. Um, you say, I gotta give you five. You can give me more than five. You can give me more than five. <laughs> yeah, can I give you snake five? Snake that Ken Norman. You know, and that's the thing, though. I mean, there's so many dudes. Um, you know, but Shaquiwan, I mean, shit. You go here today, you got Kofi, you got uh Io. One of them three Derek boys Hardcore. gotta be a Luther Head or D Brown or Darren Williams. Oh my! That's what I'm saying. Frank Williams. I don't know, man. I I don't know how to see. To me, I I think Kendall and Nick are the two best players that ever put on a a uniform at Illinois. Kendall became that. Nick, when he He was on campus, was a man amongst boys. Yeah. Um, I I look at that, and this uh, I get a lot of debates with people about the which who's the best team and so forth and so on. I mean, could you imagine D. Brown having to guard Nick Anderson? I, I mean, it's, yeah. it's not possible. They just yeah. they were too small, you know, compared to those guys. Um, 
And, and these guys are just as athletic. So it, it's, it's kind of scary to have to do that. But those two guys, I think, are the best guys um, to wear a uniform. I was the best low post scorer at the University of Illinois. Mm-hmm. So that's the only reason I'm going to throw myself in there. From that guard position, man, it, that's where it gets really hard. You're, you're one and two guard. I mean, Derek Harper. Forgot about Derek Harper. Yeah, you know, D. Brown was great. So you got to... I, I, <laughs> take a choice. Take a choice. I can. I can get a top three. So you got right. three right there, Lou. Yeah, I, I take that. We wrapping it up, man. What we want to know? What's the next chapter in Deion Thomas's hoop dream? <sighs> next time. Next. Next chapter. Well, for me, like I said, I want to. I'm working on getting um, this, this other uh, consulting business. Well, workforce augmentation business up and going. Uh, to be able to help not just kids, the, the players that are coming out of Illinois, um, but if I can do this the right way, um, then it'll be partnering with universities across the country to, to help their athletes that are going and coming um, to be able to find in their respective job mm. markets places uh, for them instead of seeing people fall apart, um, fall off the map and things like that. And then I'm waiting on grandkids, man. <laughs> so I can I can get my other right, hoop was right. in line. I mean, you know, then I'm, then I'm, waiting, I'm waiting on them, man, to get my to get the other ones in line. But in the meantime, you know, that 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 company, and then I'm just gonna keep giving back as much as I can um uh, until I got until I got my family taking up those, you know, that rest of that. Man, it has been an honor, more than an honor to have you on the podcast, have you on the show, man. I I'm just sitting there like, man. A.G., we got the legend, yeah. Deion Thomas, man. I, I still remember, man, watching you play. I remember even even once upon a time, even when you was at uh, UIC, you was recruiting my son once upon a time. I mean, it's yeah. just, I mean, man, yeah. people just don't understand. And you yeah. were so right. The history and the legacy of Chicago basketball is we just know yeah. each other. We just, we just do. We just connect on a different level no matter where we're at. If we find out you're from Chicago – you automatically get the Hoopers pass with us, without a doubt. No doubt about it, man. Thank you for being on the show, man. This was a treat today, absolutely. I'm the gold of my era. I've been a trending topic. I'm as fly as a feather. My pocket's macroscopic. See, with time, I get better. I'm always in the action, kid. Know I got it locked from Chicago where the toughest live. Concrete jungle, earn my stripes on the pavement there. You make it here, then you can make it anywhere. No comparison, your game is embarrassing. No one can touch me, I'm all for going there again. Yeah, I think I'm balling like I'm Will Gates. I'm hoop dreaming, trying to fight against a sealed fate. More faith, think I'm balling like I'm Martha AG. I'm box office, and one day they gon' have to pay me. Yeah, I think I'm balling like I'm Will Gates. I'm hoop dreaming, trying to fight against a sealed fate. More faith, think I'm balling like I'm Martha AG. I'm box office, and one day they gon' have to pay me. Hoop Dreams, the podcast, an Unlearning Network production. Written and produced by Arthur Agee, Will Gates, Matt Hoffer, with audio engineering from Matt Savage. For more episodes, check us out at www.unlearningnetwork.com. Gotta be a dog to survive in this cold weather. Ice in my veins, no need for a warm sweater. I'm coming forward, all best believe I won't let up, yeah. Hey, I think I'm balling like I'm Will Gates. I'm hoop dreaming, trying to fight against a sealed fate. More faith, think I'm balling like I'm Martha Agee. I'm box office and one day they gon' have to pay me. Yeah, 
I think I'm ballin' like on Will Gates. I'm hoop dreamin', tryna fight against a sealed fate. More faith, think I'm ballin' like I'm Martha AG. I'm box office in one day, they gon' have to pay me. Yeah.